Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's been put up and nominated for the Father of the Year Award. I am the Adam Glass, and these children, to whom I am father, uh, I, I can't even remember his no, exact no, his phrasing, fa- his but it was, so, was, it was so off The children, <laughs> to whom I yes. am a father... Yes. He yes. actually pauses though. I'm I'm not getting the cadence right because there's more hesitation around. I understand it was a right. hesitation around the sentence being malformed and him being like, "Ah, shit, this sentence yes. is just not going to pan out." But it sounds like he is reticent to call himself their father, so it comes off as, "Yes, to whom I am a father." Yes, I. I hope that the reticence was the fact that the sentence was catching up to him and he realized that the children was the bad part. Yes, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> maybe I, not. I, but nonetheless, he reads real shitty in that entire interview. <laughs> that does, that starts off that way and it only goes it, to be clear, that's probably the nicest part of the interview about his children. <laughs> he then proceeds to describe childhood as a hellacious landscape of of torture uh and the idea that he is he feels bad for liking his children (laughs) oh man there's so much to unpack there that uh we might remember to do later i don't know if we will we may this may be it because like it it's it will derail any efforts to talk about any of the rest of this stuff so Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Uh, so if you want to you wanna contribute financially to the Sisyphean task of us watching all the Criterion movies before we die. Uh, uh, no, until yeah. we die. Until we will we not die. finish this before yes. we die. We will just do this until we die. Listen. I think that there is a chance, however slim, that the Criterion Collection stops putting out new material. It is possible. It is possible the Criterion Collection and, goes under. And something happens that, that half of their half of their films are just destroyed. <laughs> yes, completely the, inaccessible. The, the great the all, great the all great records wipe of, of. <laughs> All records of what was Martin, on the list disappeared. Martin Scorsese and, like uh, time warps into the Criterion Vault and goes, "I've made a terrible mistake, Marty," and then just grabs a <laughs> shit ton of films off the off the vault like shelves and like time warps out again. the The beautiful thing about about that sentence is, I know you were making a reference to, to uh, Back to the Future, but Martin Scorsese talking to himself in the third person and calling himself Marty is is, is, is pretty is really good, a, though, right? Yeah, a piece de resistance. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, well, I guess I guess I think one way it could happen isn't that Martin Scorsese realizes he made a mistake, but that eventually he has time traveled too much and the universe just collapses in on oh, yeah, itself. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. It creates a, some Scorsese. sort of some sort of um, of unfixable paradox that, like, he, yeah. oh, he recovers the same movie twice. 
There That's we probably go. how I could do it. If I, like he yeah. finds it underneath a so a bus seat on in like South Africa, and then he refinds it in like I don't know, uh, you know, frozen in in a, in a Siberian tundra or something. I don't want to get too bogged down in expanding our Martin Scorsese mythology, but what if there's an evil Martin Scorsese with a mustache who's Wait, hiding who's, movies? Yeah. No, I believe it. Absolutely, absolutely, movie. mustache, pointy eyebrows, <laughs> absolutely, mirror universe. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hundred percent Star Trek Mirror Universe is, in every way, right? If yeah. If Mirror Universe Martin Scorsese uh starts succeeding more at hiding films than regular Martin our universe Martin Scorsese succeeds at at finding them, we could be done pretty soon. Oh, uh, that's true, that's true. If he starts actively removing them for what what already exists. Yeah. Uh good right. good yeah, I think that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> do you think uh, uh do you think that just like Quantum Leap, both Martin Scorsese and Evil Martin Scorsese both have an owl. I hope so, but also they're just other versions of Martin Scorsese. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's just, it's just, it's Martin Scorsese's all the way down. Yes. Unless it would be funnier if they were Del Toro. <laughs> it it would definitely make a more compelling movie. <laughs> that's fair that's fair anyway <laughs> if you want to uh help us secretly fund evil martin scorsese <laughs> just, just, we sent all the money from this to him campaign <laughs> campaign so to destroy escape. the criterion collection uh head over to patreon.com slash lost in criterion like i said a dollar a month gets you access to a bonus episode you get to vote on what that bonus episode is going to be uh, I usually put together a list that is four choices, and the fifth choice is always Kazam, uh, starring Shaquille O'Neal from 1996 as a genie. Um, we don't want it to win. You don't want it to win. Why is it there? Because absolutely. we need five things. <laughs> because we because we arbitrarily decided to put it there. It's really that's that's Mirror Scorsese's influence on yeah. on the list. It wasn't period. actually on the list, and then one day we woke up and there it was. <laughs> yeah, and we always remember it as being there now. It's weird. Mm. Ah, anyway, that's all a dollar for a little extra five dollars a month for folks who want to help keep us going and can afford it. We uh, we are very grateful to them. So grateful, in fact, we thank them on air. Thank you so much to Andrew Jarrett, Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmar, our current five dollar supporters. A little above that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note off the back. And mail that off to our $10 and above supporters. We also like to thank those folks on air. Thank you to Adam Speakerman, to Nina Bajanak, Tracy McGrath, Jason Westhaver, and Patrick Yalko. Yes, thank our you. Our $10 and above supporters. If you want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there. And uh, yeah, you can bypass postcards. It's postcards, it's greeting cards, it's stickers, some of them is buttons. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Thank you to everyone who has purchased anything from the Redbubble store, who has supported us on Patreon, and thank you to you for listening. Yes, thank you. Pat, this week we are continuing the By Brackage, an anthology, volume two. If you say uh, it with just the right cadence, it sounds like you're trying to get rid of him. <laughs> By Brackage. No. Uh, hello, Brackage. Welcome. Uh, we have decided that since way back when, when we did By Brackage Volume 1, uh, we watched all 26 films 
Uh, and some of them were very short, and some of them were about an hour long. Uh, but we watched all of them for one episode. Mm. And we decided that was a terrible thing for us to it have done. It was very bad. We realized it was bad while we were doing it. Like when we... Absolutely. It, it was just while, too late to, to fix yes. it. Yes. Uh, so to... Uh, to swing the other direction and make other mistakes, I'm sure. New and better uh, we have to, We have decided to really break down by Brackage Volume 2. Criterion itself has formatted all of the stuff on this DVD into six programs, each covering around an hour of material. And we have decided that we're going to dedicate six episodes to going through this program by program. So last week we talked about program one, which was uncovered films from 1955 to 1967. Uh, four films, I believe, maybe five. I, I, don't, I, yeah, I can't remember. This week it is four films made from 1967 to 1976. We're talking about scenes from under childhood, just section one though. Uh, we'll talk more about that, but it turns out that Scenes from Under Childhood actually has three other sections that Criterion decided not to include on this <laughs> I set. I wonder why. Yeah. There's also The Machine of Eden, uh, Star Garden, and Desert. All of them, as the Criterion Collection presents them to us, at least, silent. Which is interesting, uh, because they weren't It turns out there is, there is actually a soundtrack... Two scenes from under childhood. Right. I don't know if section one had any sound. I did not. The way Brackage has talked about sound, there was no sound in our copy, certainly. The way Brackage has talked about the sound in scenes from under childhood, it is not necessarily true that there that every section had constant sound. No. In fact the Uh, way he describes the sound, it is it seems like he just generated wailing feedback. Because he described yes, a process whaling... that would only produce whaling feedback. <laughs> whaling feedback that uh, started life as sounds of his wife giving birth and his children. Right. Uh, children playing. Um, yeah, might as well just jump into uh, scenes from under childhood. Is that the first one? Uh, I don't actually, again, I run is, into a problem. It is chronologically the first one. Okay. Yeah. I think it was the it last one. It is chronologically the first one. No, yeah, that's, that's fine. It, it is, doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's about 24 minutes long. It's, as I said, it's part of a series. The original, all four of them together, which were made between 1967 and 1970, all four are, uh, no, it turns out we're, we're <laughs> we are the exact opposite. I, I have it in my notes. I just completely forgot. Uh, part one was the only one. That had sound attached okay. to it originally. Well, then, I mean, but he also described uh, very specifically when he, in the in the document we watched, saying, like, I don't think it should have sound. So it makes sense right, that, like, right. we never got to see a, listen to a sound. He, yeah. The man hates sound. Let's be very clear here. <laughs> we talked about it last week, that, that the man is trying to... Uh, <laughs> what did I say? Out, out Bresson Bresson. Yes. Uh, by uh, by believing that that film should exist solely as film without without any any auditory component at uh, at all to allow the visual to speak for itself. So yeah, he produced this 
this section one did have sound originally, but the other three did not. And then apparently to, he regretted it. Yeah, according to Wikipedia. Um, yeah, so it was originally an hour of material. I don't know why Criterion has chosen to only show us part one. Yeah, I mean, I I think, did, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that you told me that his wife played a a, a very str- like strong role yes. in the layout of this anthology. So yes, it seems to me that what we're really experiencing in a lot of ways, which is interesting, is his wife's interpretation of what his sort of most important work is. So for whatever reason, she clearly didn't think Under Childhood 2 and 3 were as good as 1. Yeah. We don't know why. We're never going to get an explanation for that. But it is interesting to think about the idea that, like, it is his wife who's making that call and saying, mm, that one wasn't really as good as that one. I I, I find that very interesting. I, I would love to know what her specific sort of criteria were, like how she was making those decisions. Of the people alive at the time, she would be most intimately aware of, like, you know, familiar with his work, right? So maybe he's in her head, she's like, yeah, under children two and three were kind of shit. I don't know. One, one, real banger. Two, three, yeah, not so good. I don't know. But even while I'm watching this stuff, I'm like, your family as artistic subjects is just a uncomfortable place to be mentally. Right. Like, and not like artistic subjects in like, oh, you know, I painted my... There's something more deeply kind of unsettling about his renditions of his family. Like, I don't I, I don't know how to describe it except for, like, I, when I watch it, it's like, this is a sort of... If I were making... I would be uncomfortable to be a family member having this kind of work made with me. Right. Featured. Right, right. I was found yeah. myself watching this it, and thinking to myself, I wonder how his kids are. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't seem that Jane was particularly uh, distraught by being no. Stan's subject. Um, I'm thinking I mean, more in terms of the together, children who, they, right? Really, until decades later, can't really have a true grasp on exactly what was happening. Right. Right. right? On what even is happening? Yes. Yeah. Uh, one interesting aspect about Jane is we do know quite a bit more about her. Uh, I mean, you and I personally can know quite a bit more about her because she does have her own Wikipedia page as she was an artist and a writer in her own right. Uh, And after their separation in 1986 and the finalization of uh, their divorce in 87, she lived in her car for two years by choice uh, and wrote, uh, driving around the country and wrote a book called uh, Drive About uh, instead of a walkabout, which is... Such an American thing, yeah. That uh, <laughs> that I find I'm really intrigued by it. Um, to see if it is some sort of critique of of driving culture as opposed to walking culture, or or an embrace of it is the question, right? Yeah, or an embrace of it, or if or if the name is just the pun and and it doesn't even want to get into that idea at all. Um, but yeah, she. Uh, She then, uh, after that, she lived alone in a tiny cabin at 10,000 feet elevation in the Rocky Mountains and wrote another book called Living Up There. 
and a few collections of short stories while she was living up there as well. But yeah. Uh, anyway, Jane seems interesting. They had, it looks like five kids together. Yes, it seems like it. And then uh, Stan and Marilyn had two more kids together. Uh, so there's, uh, Stan's got a lot of kids. Yeah. Uh, and to I whom hope... he is a father. <laughs> and that's, that's really, okay. So swinging back around to the one sort of special feature for this program is Brackage talking about this movie in particular, um, under, under, <laughs> or scenes from under childhood. And someone asked him about it. And he starts talking about the children as the subjects of the film. And then gets about halfway through that sentence before he realizes that the subjects of the film are his children. So he's got to clarify that in the most awkward way possible. <laughs> uh, which is what Pat yeah, quoted I mean, at the beginning I, my, of the episode. My problem with it is not... I mean, again, I don't want to get too derailed by this. I, I can't... It kind of it, it annoyed me. So it's hard to not... But, like, he gets – that's understandable, right? You get into a sentence and you're like, ah, fuck, this is not going to work. Like, they're not the children. Right. They're my children. So you try to, like, cook up a sentence that just doesn't work. You don't restart. You just, like, keep rolling. Um, but then the rest of that interview doesn't necessarily make me more – make me feel like the children being the start was the problem with the sentence. Right, because he then goes on to describe how he thought he was too, he 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 kept having to correct himself because he was too adoring in his film of his children. Because what he really wanted you to understand is that children, the life of children is hell. Yeah, uh, and of course there's good moments, but it's really just hell. Okay, so- and then he goes on to describe that he believes other people's perception of children is wrong. The the, the going perception of childhood across nearly every human being <laughs> people misremember childhood as being a fun and interesting and exciting time when it was actually hell and i'm like thinking to myself Stan, i think it might just be you who misremembers childhood or alternatively had a bad one stan stan seems to have had a bad childhood from his own perspective um it's, he particularly it's, says what you're i i think it is interesting to uh, dig into his actual words and not just broad strokes about I'm pretty his tone and, and what he's saying. You are you are pretty accurate, but I've written down a couple okay, of quotes. Okay, all right, please. Uh, he found, I found myself treating the kids I was father to <laughs> in a Shirley Temple fashion as if they were cute and not recognizing the dark side of what they were going through, and that terrified me. It terrified him that he was only treating them yeah. as cute and not recognizing... Not the dark side of their as... of their predicament, what with being I mean, a child. Yes, but ultimately, it's about treating children as whole people too. Well, right? I don't know because I I I, I agree. I, I I initially read it that way because yes, like treating them as adorable. But like what I think he's actually talking about is that like he was making actual home videos instead of whatever right, Stan right, Brackage right. wants to make, and like yeah. Like where you just train a camera on a child and enjoy the fact that this is a child and children are are in fact cute. Um, 
What, what, and I understand that like he might have mean also about treating them as a whole person, but then he what he goes on to describe is not like a problem with treating children as a whole person, but that the way adults perceive childhood. You've just reminded me that last week when we were talking about uh, 23rd Psalm Branch, uh, in that movie there is text that pops up. Yeah. And you said something that I've been thinking about all week. I'm glad you can remember anything I said. Uh, you said that you made a conscious choice not to pause to read Absolutely. all that text. 100%. Uh, because, and I, I hope I'm not uh, engrandizing your reasoning here, uh, but because uh, it is Brackage's choice for how long that text is on yeah, screen. Yeah, totally. That's and exactly if it's not on long, yeah, if it's not on there long enough for you to read it, then obviously it's it's on there long enough for Brackage, <laughs> for how long Brackage wants it to right, be. I mean, there. this is a man who's if assembling not, the film yeah. basically by hand. He right. can make it as right. long as he wants. Right. And that's why I've been thinking about it all this week, is thinking about I've approached Brackage so far just as the visual. But what you did there and what you've got me thinking about as we go into program two is approaching Brackage, not just thinking about the visuals, but thinking about Brackage's editor. Yeah, yeah. And and that so much of Brackage's art actually is in the editing. I mean, I because think without editing, almost entirely, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Certainly, certainly in the set of films we have this week, if it weren't for the editing, these would just be home movies. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and and it's worth noting that the other ones we have watched generally fall into that class as well. I mean, of course, like when you're getting into the painting and stuff, it gets a little bit right, different. Right, right. That's a different animal. Now now we're doing something different. But anything we've seen with, like, visuals up there, like, if you assembled this in, in a, like, standard film way, now you would have home videos. Other day you would have something approaching almost a linear narrative about, like, war. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. Braggage chooses to to destroy any sort of semblance of the sort of film that you would normally experience. Like, he seems to have as a goal to make... The opposite of film. Not, and I'm not trying to say it in a bad way. I mean, like his goal seems to be to counteract the very nature of film. Like we've encountered a lot of directors who want to like up in certain elements of the sort of way the film is constructed. Whereas Brackett seems to be like running guns a blazing at like the concept of the way film even exists and works. Right. Right. Like. Right. And and it and it's it's hard to deal with and and almost all that relies on editing because even even anything he did like if you just slapped it all together without by like, rearranging it and moving it and changing the way it displays you would just end up with like stock footage and or home videos that's all you would have right 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 and particularly with with what we saw from you know twenty third Psalm Branch. You know, he is he is using material that he didn't shoot right. even, so it it yeah. And then and so obviously right. there's an editorial choice in what what material right, to exactly. use. And and uh, it's worth noting. Top of that, it, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say on top of it, he's he's slicing. You know, he's not just shooting straightforward. He's not just photo manipulating what he had previously shot. Uh, he is really 
really making artistic choices in the edit, uh, editing uh, that you know I hadn't I hadn't consciously accepted. I suppose right, yet, right. Until you said that. Well, last week. especially since so. the last set that we encountered with him wasn't really in the same same vein at all. Like it right. really just right. wasn't. Like I don't know exactly what his painting technique looked like, but I presume he you know. Given the nature of things, he couldn't suppose- paint cell by cell. It's just too small. So I assume he's just doing sort of like, I don't know. It's hard to figure out. what I wonder. I would Given- love to see a video of what it looked like when he was painting the film. I would love to know Given Given so the small. playback speed and how often the image is changing, yeah, he'd have to be painting it cell by cell. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's painting on like 8 millimeter. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, I would love to know what uh, his 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 yeah. process for that looked like, because you know it, it it is it is hard to conceive of what he's doing. Like, I don't think he's doing like old Disney animation style. I don't think he's painting and then fo- photograph. I, I don't. It seemed like every description was he was painting directly right. on film. Yeah, he is right. He's painting directly on the celluloid. Um, just as when he signs all of his films, he is right. cutting directly onto the celluloid. Um. Yeah. So getting back to scenes from yeah, Under the right. Childhood. Uh you know, this is this is another this is one where ideologically it exists in the framing, right, or in the editing. Uh because it's I found this beginning of this very interesting and I found it super interesting that I did actually understand what was going on. Just the title is a framing element that helps you understand what's right. going on, right? But, you know, it's it's this sort of vibrating red that comes back, and every so often there's movement within the red, and it felt very organic, and it felt like what Brackage was trying to portray here was uh, the view of a child in the womb. Uh and that, you know, when we swing back around to his commentary on it, that's basically what he's what he's trying to do with that right. story. You know, he says this is a movie about about birth, but not necessarily physical birth, but intellectual birth. Yeah, the gaining of consciousness. The birth stuff. of consciousness. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's interesting. Yeah. Like what Which, he has to say about it is interesting. Yeah, it's just sort of like this is one of those situations where you can come to a point where you just disagree with an artist about their like notions of the way things are. And like, there's no way to get around that. Like I just fundamentally disregard, disagree with Brackage's understanding of what sort of pre full conscious existence is like. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that is a fair approach. Uh, what he's trying to capture here, in his own words, is, I suppose, the the terror of childhood, the terror right. of of birthing into consciousness. And if he's trying to do that, he succeeds. Yes, yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, there are particular aspects of where we're seeing movement under uh, an almost completely opaque red filter to the film where it really could be out of a horror movie yeah no for sure like Uh, yeah pretty straightforwardly and then we get you know the first few views of the children we have uh 
images are doubled, they're distorted in a funhouse mirror sort of way. They're they're almost like well, he, he's I, doing. A, did you ever do this as a kid where where you, you press against yeah, the side yeah, of your eyeball, you the, like the yeah. sort of like encroaching colors and stuff? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it is. It reminds me of a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I assume what he is going for based on what he describes is descri- he is trying to ver- visually describe the process of not fully being like in a world that makes sense to you. That like the right. world is sort of disjointed. His his argument being that like children are sort of kind of like grasping and floating through a world that doesn't fl- that they're not fully aware of or fully understand. And 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 for him he that strikes him as terror like in and it would make sense that for somebody from everything i've seen of brackage someone like him that 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 lack of full consciousness would be terrifying like the idea right. that like a person exists who is not fully cognizant of their reality is is like a nightmare right like it's the same you know and and and, and it's a nightmare to other people too it's not like he's the only one or anything like that it's just you know he's doing a good job of representing that. It, it I, it it is, it is it is an interesting approach to to viewing childhood through a lens that people do not usually view childhood through. And I I agree with yeah. that as being an interesting point of view. Uh, it is very it is actually if you if you were to cut in instead of children something scary this would just be a scary movie. It would be a scary art project, right? Because like the way it's and even as it is, it's a little scary. If you put like haunted house music over the back or some shit, it would, I bet, I bet the wailing feedback was pretty fucking scary. Yeah, because he's talking about he's talking about essentially doing to audio tape what he does to right. Yeah, totally uh, to film, but. Uh, but he is taught. He said he did it on a tape recorder, which means he's not. Well, more he, than likely, he's doing this on magnetic tape. Yeah, for sure, he's doing it on magnetic. Well, in sixty-seven, would he? He's probably probably real to real magnetic been? tape. He probably got two real to reels, right, right. and feedback looped one into the other, so that like, yeah. it's here. It's recording itself. Play. It's it's a mess, right? Like it's gonna do that thing, yeah. right? Where you've got like the microphone of one pointed at itself right. and, then, and and then the other one's recording what's coming out of that one yeah it, it and, it's a mess but everything he talks about doing is talking about slowing it down right that's Among physically other things. Yeah, yeah yeah um cutting it up maybe reversing it maybe uh but all of those are things that when you do to the sounds of children playing i uh, make horror sounds let's be clear they just here. makes <laughs> i love children but the sounds of children playing yeah. are already kind of horror sounds <laughs> taken taken out of context they are already horror sounds slowed down or reversed they are absolutely and throw in some wailing sounds. feedback and that you've got a nightmare yeah. that is i mean yeah so probably that's, the movie originally in its original format was maybe too scary yeah that's why the nightmare on elm street movies start with uh little girls singing ring around the rosie they're just I mean, creepy children that's, children <laughs> singing playing can be very creepy like it it's just true and maybe 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 that stands. Stan is misremembering. He's he's projecting his own current fear of children onto his childhood. Well, I, I actually, if I'm being perfectly honest, I do in fact believe that Stan is projecting. 
I, I think what Brissan is projecting is a fear of the idea of lack of like his in a state of consciousness that he sees himself in. He projects backwards yeah. onto his past the idea that the lack of consciousness that he fears that he could the because he already has it. It is a scary idea to think about losing it, right? Like it, as a, as yeah. an adult, like when I think about the idea of like, oh, you know, that's why people are really scared of things like um, various sorts of, of ailments that can befall you that like sort of lo- you lose your s- sense of self, right? But that's yeah. a per- back projection. Children don't know that that thing exists yet. Like they can't. It, it, it's I don't. But also. But also talking about it as the birth of consciousness is is interesting because he doesn't seem necessarily in engage, interested in engaging philosophically or pedag- pedagogically uh, with what exactly that means. Uh, because, I mean, children are conscious yeah, they're in the conscious. understanding of this consciousness arguing, since birth. Yeah, yeah. I think he's arguing like the like full consciousness, right? Like that. Right. Which right, would really right. like if I'm like being really stupid about it, I would view as like when you start forming full memories that you can like then recall. Yes. Right? Which happens yeah. pretty young. <laughs> yes. Is, but you you are right to say to be kind of stupid about it, though, because we can really we can get nitty gritty about no what exactly that means, exactly right? like if we're going for what Brackage yeah. is going for, I assume that's what he's going for. Like when yeah. do you, when does one become aware of the world? And I think Brackage is sort of engaging with it in a very hands off sort of way, where he's like, "Well, it happens right. sometime in childhood." Yeah, um, you know, if if we then sort of take a step back uh, and. And basing on Brackage's words, but not necessarily taking him at face value. I think there is a solid argument to be made that this one in particular, and maybe maybe even all of Brackage's work about birth and about his kids, are uh, perhaps unconsciously, to an extent, playing with the idea of memory of childhood. And that, you know, you know his kids... His kids at this time probably have pretty solid memories. Oh yeah, they may they not remember. be able to articulate I mean, those solid in this memories one, the, of things that the are happening. Babies that are being filmed, like there's a, there's definitely yeah. like a a an if not an infant, like an extremely young child in this one. Yes. But there are also yeah. like four year olds and like right, and right. up who are definitely forming memories. They do remember dad wandering around with a camera, being kind of weird. Right. Yeah. So you know. Well, that's why Instead, I brought it the, up. I, I brought that right, up at the, the beginning because it's right, like right. that. It's like, yeah. Huh? So the image we're getting that we see here is sort of the the funhouse mirror, weird, distorted memories that you eventually have about childhood. Right. But not that children have about childhood. No, exactly. And that's that's what I was kind of saying is I think like Braggage, yeah. I, I was annoyed initially. Because Brackage is talking about childhood and then a kind of accusing others of the thing he is very clearly doing, which is writing his own current fears and his own current sort of understanding of the world backwards onto his own childhood. Even if he had a terrible childhood, he what he's describing is not a thing a child is thinking about when a child is being a child (laughs) like like, you know, and so it is it is uh, like. 
he because he's perfectly he kind of goes out of his way to describe this like sort of elastic world where like things are dangerous and like you don't understand what's going on and and that's scary and I was like but I've never seen a child be scared of that nature of reality you know what I mean like it it, yeah. it it's it's not well, like it's just not well I say how kids engage is, with the world generally speaking so there is other media I can think of that sort of explores how from a childhood's perspective things are nightmarish but approach it you know i i think of like rugrats approaching oh, yeah, that totally it is it is nightmarish but it's approached in good nature and and the kids are overcoming it right right uh, which is a thing children are like constantly doing it's also yeah. worth noting that again a problem we run into with all this is it will always be adults pre sort of right, conceived right, notions right, right. written back onto childhood we don't remember our childhood with the sort of detail that would be required to actually remember what it was like in that in that way, right? And so, right. Um, Rugrats is the same way. It's different, but it's the same. Mine is the same way. We're all doing the same thing, which is trying to look back at our childhood and think, like, what was I feeling when X happened? And the reality is right. we'll never know because we can't even actually do that for, like, what we felt yesterday, really, not in any sort of meaningful <laughs> way, right? Like, uh, Like... You know, we the way our memories work are so broken and busted that like you can't really accurately describe anything that happened to you previously with any sort of like the sort of certitude to be like, yeah, this is exactly how. I mean, some things are more sort of indelibly written, right? Like traumas and things like that, obviously, but they do change over time in our minds, right? And childhood is certainly right. that way. Um, so I mean, maybe Brackett is right. Maybe every child is 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 going through. Through a nightmarish, hellish torment at all times yeah. because the world doesn't make sense. But I suspect there would be a lot more crying if that were the case. To be fair, the world doesn't make sense. So no, uh, but like there, uh, if it were the nightmare that Brackage describes, I feel like there would be a lot more people crying, like children crying, kind of all the time. Right, right, yeah. Unfortunately, because because these being distorted home movies is the through line for this entire program. Uh, as we move through the rest of Yeah, we're of just going to get more of this. <laughs> just more of this. Um, so maybe we should Yeah, move we on. should. The we, machine we can't of Eden. afford to spend too much time on any given right. one, really. Right. Right. The Machine of Eden is from 1970. It's uh, about 11 minutes long. Um, and again, is 16 millimeter silent. Um, uh, this is playing with home, and home movies, but it's not necessarily home movies of children. This is more playing right, with, right, like, right. vacation movies. Like yeah, out the car um, windows and stuff, right? Kind of stuff that you take like when you're yeah, on a think, trip, plus a loom of some I sort. Think, I think most of it is probably just shot around their I house. I assume it is it because just, they are living in, you know, at the foot of the Rockies. At right, this point. right. It's just a lot um, of like trees, a lot of like the yeah. sky. It's a lot of like yeah. what I kind of associated with, like, oh, we went to this place and I brought my video camera. Right, right. And then yeah, I the machine did a of, lot of filming. I th- The loom is there, I think, as sort of... Uh, uh, approaching this one is more of a visual poem. Yes, I... Yeah, the I, loom is the machine of Eden. Right, and it, it weaves is, reality, it is, yes. It's very, yes. very Greek. Yeah, weaving, weaving this idyllic life in the Rockies that we see, right? Um of of very beautiful images of clouds and 
sped up thunderstorms that are it's actually it's it's really mesmerizing. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely um, one of I I am fascinated by this because it is very beautiful, uh, and I don't I don't have not. There's two films in this set that I, in this program that I have like. Wow, this is really beautiful to look at, and that is not exactly the way I have previously viewed Brackage's work. Right. I don't think like my perception of Brackage was never really that his goal was to like show people beauty prior to this. Um, But this seems very much more interested in that. Right. And, and this one and at least one of the other ones, um, I think desert uh, particularly, um, but maybe star garden too, also show us sort of unmanipulated landscape at times. Yeah. Uh, Star Garden, uh, I Star Garden, I have a very specific kind of perception of it. That one's less of that. Uh, I think your Desert yeah. is 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 Desert is mostly unmanipulated, is some unmanipulated, and then some where he like blurs stuff out. This one is right, right. specifically a lot of unmanipulated images. It's it's a lot of like moving the camera around, but not necessarily like doing anything to what came out. Right, right. He uses the blue tint that we start with right. on the loom. He uses that for a lot of the loom shots and some of the early sort of out, outdoor shots. Uh, I think the sure shot of the sky is is, is, is definitely, yeah, it's got also blue tinted to it. But a lot of it's yeah. just like raw, apparently yeah. raw nature in fact, footage. In fact, the very first image of the loom we get is full color. And then we go to the sky that's got the blue tint. Then we go back to the loom with with the blue tint to sort of establish the relationship right. of the machine to the nature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the ideology. Again, uh, like most poetry, the title is very important as a piece where the artist is trying to tell us right, what right. the poem is about, right? Uh, it just happens that Brackage is making purely visual poems as opposed to purely word poems. Uh, which is usually how it works with poetry, <laughs> but uh, or at least in my experience with poetry. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's just it's like I said, it's just very. They are beautiful landscapes. He is filming them competently. Uh, he is editing them all together in an interesting way. He is manipulating it in an interesting way when he manipulates it. But much of it isn't even really manipulated except for the cuts. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, he's mostly doing like some in camera stuff where he's like he'll like generate interesting effects by whipping the camera around really fast or shaking yes. it kind of violently. Uh so yes. that like you don't get just a steady image of the thing that he's trying to show you. Um I think to a certain extent he's trying to convey a certain amount of uncertainty to this Eden. That the, the this Eden is not like Yeah. You know, because like I, I get the impression that, like, you know, he's he's talking about the creation of the, you know, sort of this loom that's weaving this, this, this paradise for them. But, like, it's not, like, it's not just then pure, like, steady camera landscapes. There's a lot of motion to it that I think implies a sort of, uh, uh, right. sort of, it's not permanent. The, the, this, this, this paradise is not, like, set in stone for them, at least. Right, right. And... You know, I think something that lends it to that interpretation is the fact that the scenes get darker right, as yeah. the film goes on. And we're at night, and we're seeing the mountaintops at night, and then we end on the little sliver of the moon. 
right. uh, as our final image, right? It is, it is the machine running down and quieting out right, before right. it starts anew the next day. Right, right. Well, um, it's worth noting that, like, sort of, like, the only living things in these in this one are birds taking flight and things like that that are right, very indicative right. of, like, fleetingness. And, and Yes, yes. Whereas Star Garden is also about that cyclical day cycle, very overtly. Yes, yeah. We see this is a day in the life of the Brackage family, <laughs> really. Uh, um, but it is more about the Brackage family and not about the environment they well, find themselves I, in. I, I, that's interesting <laughs> there is stuff about the that. environment I they would, find themselves in. I would in say too. that, yes, I agree with you, but like the way... Star Garden is shot. I mean, if we're if we're moving on to Star Garden, I I yeah, sure. I adore the visuals in Star Garden. I think Star Garden yeah. may be the most beautiful thing that I've ever actually seen Brackage make. Yeah, Brackage Star plays Garden, with the light way. and color in Star Garden in a really, really, really attractive way. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, Star Garden, by the way, is shot in 1974, so four years after Machine of Eden, and uh, what are we at? Of nearly a decade. Uh, well, seven years after uh, the uh, scenes from Under Childhood. Um, but Wally was still working on the other parts of scenes. Which, no, 1970 is the end of the other parts of scenes from... So this is completely after scenes from Under Childhood. All four okay. parts were finished. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of day um, in the life of, 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 the, of their family. He does a lot of yeah. interesting manipulation of like color like he does it he inverts it and then like sort of posterizes it in a way that's really fascinating at the beginning i found really and he does it at the end as well to kind of like paint the environment they exist in you really sort of get the impression that like while the family can kind of be seen as the subject of it i almost think of the house as the subject of star garden which i think makes sense when you think about the the title that it's more about yeah and there are they exist in than anything else right Right, and there are there are shots of empty rooms, a lot of shots of empty rooms, like scattered throughout this one as well. And yeah. and then oftentimes, if you like look at it, it's lots of like close ups. I mean, you do see the family doing stuff, but it's often close ups of the like their hands manipulating objects and stuff. Right, which I think is meant to to a certain extent sort of like remove them from the film and make it more about like the activities and then the place. Um, Right, the scenes of the house though are are lived in scenes. Oh in the yeah, house, yeah, too. Yeah, they're yeah. unmade beds. They're yeah. they're dishes piled on the sink, uh, clean and dirty. Um, there was a point where I I wrote in my notes, "Come on, Braggage, put the put the camera down and do the dishes." Right, uh, but well, uh, yeah. I mean, I when I when I was talking earlier about like I wonder like how his kids are. I kind of like your dad spent most of your, like a good chunk of your childhood kind of filming you in a very esoteric sort of way. And then yeah. like using that as like art seems like yeah, when you grow up, you would have some, some like thoughts on that. You know what I mean? Some, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I am, this one made me really, interested in seeing the rest of scenes from under childhood okay because i feel like there are scenes here with the kids that feel more like they are actually from the kids point of view yeah yeah i agree i I saw in scenes from under childhood um so i wonder if if that was 
something that eventually emerges in scenes from Under Child. Right, as you we get just later didn't on. see that part. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's possible that one of the reasons why we don't have all those and then we have this is that, like, there's a very maybe a very easy through line there. We're like, well, you can kind of see where it goes kind of thing. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it, this one's just interesting because, like, even the shots of people doing stuff, really, like, it's not so – it's from the perspective of the kids in the sense that, like, you're seeing their hands and what they're doing. So it kind of gives it almost a POV sort of perspective. Uh, but I assume I, – it's hard to say if that's what Brackage was trying to convey or just the idea of, like, these are hands manipulating an environment and this movie is about the environment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's hard to say who the subject of in Star Garden is. It has one. I just don't know if it's the kids or the house. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I think it is more malleable just life there. Um, you know, this one, it's a day in the life, and it's it's fairly chronological in our day in the life, you know, in that occasionally we get points where it seems time has passed in a single day. We start with the moon. We end with the moon. We've got daytime in between. One of the first images we see of anyone eating anything is peanut butter on toast. One of the last images we see of anyone eating anything is clearly a dinner. It's, right, yeah. It's yeah. roasted yeah. corn. Yeah, it does it's, seem to be chronological. I mean, I doubt it is the same yeah. day, but yeah, it has a... There's, it definitely progresses into night at the end. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I'm not saying that Braggage filmed this over the course right. of one no, day, yeah. but it is just, it is set up as... And maybe he did, you know, yeah, that seems it's, to it's be the totally sort of thing fun. he might have done. Uh, <laughs> but it is, it is scenes over the course of a day of their life. Um, and that's, you know, I, that itself is more interesting to me, but I... I almost would want an outside. I kind of want a behind the scenes of Star Garden uh -huh. to see to see because the other thing about shooting in silence or producing, you know, not shooting in silence, but but producing a silent work is that we only have the image of the camera, what the camera is looking right. at, and what Brackage has decided to show us of what the camera is looking at. Whereas if we had a broader context of sound or another camera looking at brackage as this is happening, I'm really fascinated, particularly with this one, even more so than the others, I think, um, of how, at least the others in the set, but of how brackage is, how his family is reacting to what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, it's a thing I really, constantly, I think about, like, yeah. I thought about this with... Um, uh, scenes from under the childhood, like, and I think about it even more with this one. Yeah, there's there's a constant. I have a constant preoccupation with wondering, like, what was it like to be in that place at that time? Like, where, like I said, you kind of like kids pick up on like things, and like, right? Dad's being. I mean, Dad's probably always been a weirdo. You know what I mean? Like, Dad is. Pretty right. pretty markedly kind they, of a weird dude. Um, they only know dad as weirdo. Right. So. But like dad is just sort of like, but I, I guess what it comes down to is one has to wonder, A, how long it took. And also like if he made the whole scenes from under childhood set, like how many 
days were just dad kind of just following you around with a video with a camera like recording your hands and shit and then like how because you made because you took child your children and made them into subjects of art you by nature ended up overriding some of the time that you would have spent being a father with being an artist right you know what i mean like how many of those could have been times where you were enjoying the the act and and process of being a family were instead became art time because you're not yeah. getting these shots on accident right like it's not like he's just taking pure regular old home movies and then chopping them up there's some of that right like when they're walking back on the path or whatever that's very just like dad's recording a home video right like has a yeah. that vibe right but the rest of it is not the sorts of things you shoot when you are just making a home movie, right? Right, right. The feeling the feeling I get from Brackage isn't that this is Brackage's version of a home no, movie. No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, this isn't it's the 60s, 70s. It's very stereotypical of, you know, uh middle-class dads wanting to document everything about everything they do and then forcing the neighbors to watch it when they come right, over yeah. or whatever, you know. This isn't Brackage like reacting to that or trying to do his version of that. This is Brackage wanting to make art, and he has found himself in this domestic life. Uh, so he is shooting what is around him. Yeah, I uh, mean that's true, but like bear in mind I, that like if we get into sort of ob- observe like the sort of the interruption of the observer on like the process, right? Like. You're not right. shooting pictures of your children's hands while they like eat their breakfast without interrupting the act of them eating their breakfast. That's impossible. Right. right. Yeah. Which that means to a certain extent true. at some point in the lives of these children and, you know, his wife and and him to, he doesn't ever show himself. So like there's that's a whole other problem with Brackage to a certain extent for me is that like other people are his subjects. He's not his subject. Right. Um other people have to right. bear the burden of his art, not him, uh, to a certain which, extent. Which I think is why, when I talked about stepping back, why I would like to see some sort of behind-the-scenes right. documentary yeah. of this one in particular is really to see Brackage in Brackage's element, not just not just what we have here. Right, because totally. he is I approaching mean, it. Yeah. <clears throat> when Brackage shoots... The camera's not a character. Brackage isn't. Uh, no, Brackage, yeah. Brackage isn't trying to exist within the realm of his film, even when he's shooting his family life. No, he and that and I. That's kind of what I was getting at. I, I agree with you. Yeah, is that like by nature of the style of art he's making, and it's not participatory. It means that there are times where dad wasn't dad. Dad was artistic film produ- like producer <laughs> you know what i mean yeah which is i mean it's fine it's like i'm sure it wasn't like all the time maybe it was all the time if it was all the time that does sound kind of like a nightmare yes your children's life was a nightmare um but i doubt it was it, it's just interesting that like they these children have a very specific and all children do unique set of memories that involve a very strange some very strange times i'm sure where like dad filmed X number of minutes of me eating my cereal 
or whatever, you know? Right. And, right. And like, and then like someday later, you're going to come to, you're going to come to experience that in like its actual final form that it came out. And that's going to be an odd experience in and of itself as well. Right. Like, you know, you're going to see like you, your hands eating cereal and you're going to be like, well, that's, that was that time. I remember when he did that. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating because that is not how most children's childhood goes. Most children are not the subjects of sort of artistic inquiry. Right, right, right. With this level, certainly not with this level of intensity, right? Like parents try to take nice pictures of their children, but the goal is always to show their children the best way possible, right? Their goal is always to, like, I want to capture what I see when I look at my children in this photo. That's my goal, right? I want to be able in future to look back at them. That that is my what what that was like, right? And that's the impetus that drives a lot of the you know the dads with the cameras and stuff, right? Is to like I is to capture a moment because it, it time is fleeting, right? Um, that's not Brackage's goal here. Is <laughs> not to capture right. what the the world and keep it in a bottle. His goal is to render domestic life into art. Right. Um. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's I, uh it's it's a very it's a very interesting impetus, I will say. On that line, I do worry that early success with uh window water baby moving and uh at least his own satisfaction with things like scenes from under childhood. Uh I hope that's not why Brackage ended up having seven kids. <laughs> I I hope not too. Kept, um, kept trying I, to feed back into the artistic yeah, endeavor. I mean, like of to a certain extent, like I, I, lives. it certainly seems to the idea of doing this certainly seems to have possessed him for a long time. Right, and and one, and I again, I would never accuse somebody of only having children to manipulate them for. I would never accuse somebody I know so little about to, of doing that. I, I definitely accuse certain like you know celebrity parents and stuff of that. But like, um, I, I one has to wonder if that like it brackets just sort of, and this is just sort of a feeling, strikes me as the kind of like phil, philosopher dad who like tries to. Uh, to create some sort of detachment from his domestic life to kind of render it as being separate from him. And again, it may just be, it's mostly just his, his, his deal in that interview gives me this like really like, yeah. Yeah. And it's not much, it's five minutes. So it's like, I'm sure it's fine. But like when your children become the subject of your art, it feels just the wee bitest sort of icky to me. Right. Right. And, you know, to his credit, he does realize that it is icky, which is why he pauses in that sentence, uh, because he has started talking about his children solely as subjects, or the children solely as subjects, and then catches himself to to realize, wait, these are my kids, and I need to make that clear. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, Well, moving on to Desert, then, which is from 1976. It's our last one in this set. It's 10 minutes long. Yeah. Um, this one shot on Super 8, which gives it uh, different 
different color out of the yeah, box. Yeah, and like, also gives it mu- even uh, more of a sort of like home movie, like road trip right, vibe right, to right, it. Right, like right, dad, right, dad's yeah. on a road trip sort of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly to uh, scenes from Under Childhood, this one starts out with pretty solid pinks instead of solid reds, and then slowly sort of. Um, lines and curves breaking through and then some some stuff like it's shots of human beings organically moving just over this yeah, incredible blurry and pink and hue. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then it's just, it, it's a lot of scenes in nature. Um, and while it's called desert, the particular nature we're seeing uh, implies, I think it's, more beach than desert. Yeah, uh, I would which, say. You know. I mean, there's definitely some palm trees, um, which right, yeah, right, like right. don't typically grow in the middle of the desert. Um, yeah, my guess is like I wonder if this was like a family trip to the beach that got turned into art. Yeah. Well, you know, I think okay, art. Even if it were artistically approaching uh, the beach as as desert in like an imaginative way. Yeah, right. it's sort of in line with what we're talking about uh, with kids in childhood. Right. Of, of I mean, this one notably this has program. no recognizable people in it. Like, there are right, scenes right. of what appear to be people who are extremely blurry moving around in the distance and stuff like yes, that. Yes, yes. But this, this notably does not have any people in it. Uh, not, I mean, you can see scenes of, like, cars flying by on the road. But, like, very, like, I don't know exactly what he's doing to the film, but, like, it's not just blurring. He's also, like, manipulating it in some other fashion. I I assume it's happening in camera. I think he's messing around with, like, shutter speeds and stuff like that a lot. And so it's it's very funky visuals. But you can, because of the way it, brain, you can kind of make out what, what things are, right? You can right, see cars right, driving right. on a road and stuff like that. But it's purposely rendered out to be like really hard to distinguish. Yeah, yeah, and then we get shots of nature that are obviously not hard to distinguish, and it's right. just trees in the breeze, well, and mountains and, in the and distance. That's the interesting and, thing is, is it's the you'll see that shot with like it's not hard to distinguish, and then I'm fairly certain later on you see something a very similar shot that is purposely made hard to distinguish. Right, 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 right. Like, and right. I suspect they're much of the same stuff. Right, he keeps rendering the same things. Roughly the same things, both visible and then not visible, right? Um, you know, it, 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 you know, you'll see mountains, you'll see trees, you'll be see the sky, and then you'll see another scene later on that you're like, that's also the sky, but it's very hard to tell. Right, right, yeah, it. A little more background material might be interesting because you know it does seem like a trip to the beach instead of a desert. But even if they are actually in a desert, uh, this is some place that is unlike the three we've watched as part of this uh, this week. This is something that isn't shot at the Brackage home. Right. Somebody, he had to go somewhere. Yeah. He had to, he had to leave Colorado to get <laughs> to what we're seeing here. Um, so, it would be interesting to have that sort of context just to better understand exactly what he's doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, 
<laughs> Obviously, this is this is his own ideological set, and it's doing what Brackage wants it to do. But if it is a trip to the beach, and he doesn't have footage of the kids in it, uh, are we finally to a point where Brackage has realized he needs to put the camera down and enjoy the beach with his kids? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, what's what's interesting is like it it. Yeah, maybe, but also maybe like he has grown tired of the human subject. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because like it's still like happening at beach day or whatever, right? Like, I'm fairly right, certain we're right, just right. we're just somewhere in Southern California. I'm almost sure that we're just somewhere yeah. in Southern California. Like, just like right. there's mountains off in the like. distance. There's palm trees. There's highways. There's it's, you know. Who knows if he's with his family or not? We have no way to know any of that, right? It could be a bi- some sort of business trip or something. It could be anything, right? Um, it's interesting that like there, there. This one is visually has the most sort of um, consistency in terms of color, right? All the other ones, mm-hmm. he's shifting colors and stuff like that and playing around with. Color. This one is just basically orange and red, like all. It, it has the color of sunset beginning day and basically um it, you are kind of in a permanent state of sunset throughout the whole thing um there's really not any other uh sort of coloration there there's a few scenes where like he shows the city like the cars driving around it lightens up suddenly but like otherwise it's just orange uh, so i think that's kind of interesting right he he has a desert color that like kind of persists throughout um, and I, I wonder if basically, if not almost all, this was probably shot in like one evening with like, where the color was just really awesome. And he's like, or, you know, a couple of evenings or something, right. Where he was sort of maybe struck by the color of sunset in like Southern California. Um, I think he doesn't normally have access to, right. Like that's just not what the world looks like in Colorado. Right. And like, it's very different. Right. So it right. might be to a certain and extent being one of those things where like, holy crap, this this is totally different. I'm going to film this experience. Yeah, but certainly he had traveled, right? We no, had stuff I know, last I know. Month, but like last you know, week you, that was shot in France. So what I mean is like you yeah. sit in a place and you're like, Well, this is different and this is pretty and I wanna I mean, I wonder my my point that I'm trying to get at is I wonder if this is serendipitous or if this is I travel to you know what I mean? Like I, that, as you were talking about the context before, like why is he here now with a camera? Is interesting to think about, and we don't have an answer yeah. to that. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, desert is. Um, I suppose in a way it's also the least substantial, at least to me, out of yeah. the rest of what we're we've talked about this week. It, it it's um, the closest to almost sort of a landscape painting. Right, right, right. Well, uh, you know, approaching it from that perspective is is maybe interesting too, because it is it is sort of a landscape painting in as 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 a brackage film. Um, and the pink tint is obviously you know it's it's. The colors of the desert, it's, it's it's not harsh red, it's lighter, it's bright. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, with the title desert and the start with the pink, with the lines and the the uh, curves coming through it, I thought maybe we'd be getting like, you know, painted desert with like, you know, colored sandstone above above vast empty plains. Um, well, and that's not really what we end up. No, getting, not right? at because all. I mean, we, sort of... we do get a little bit of like in the middle, like towards the, well, not the middle, the beginning, there's a little bit of what's obviously like the landscape is he's driving wherever he's going and stuff. Right. Uh, right. which is a little bit different sort of in color and texture than like where they end up. Um, yeah, it, I, I think in the end what we're kind of dealing with, if you, if you think about it, if we go back to thinking about things as poems, right. As these is mm-hmm. sort of visual poems, then like if we look through this set, right. First of all, program one obviously has a very like sort of domestic vibe to it, right? It's very like this is our the era of Brackage making films about his maybe not him, but like his world that he lives in, right? Um uh but also like when you think about like what each poem kind of poem this this is a very kind of straightforward ode to in this situation, not the desert, but the beach more than anything. But like if you can you know, given the way that, like, I'm pretty sure they're in Southern California, desert and beach are kind of interchangeable there. You know what I mean? Right. And certainly, certainly like A runs into B driven, pretty, pretty seamlessly. Right. To have driven from Colorado to Southern California, they would have crossed through actual desert. Right. Uh, right. So, um, And so if that's what it is, right, this is, this is most straightforward because this is the most sort of like, I went to the beach and I wrote a poem about the beach. Right. Whereas the other ones are explorations of like childhood or explorations of domestic life or of like you know when a when a poem a po a, you know a, a poet or somebody writes a short you know writes a poem or a short story writer writes a short story about their like their home or something like that this is what sort of the feeling that the other ones had right and sometimes those take on a dark air to them sometimes they're a little bit more light or interior like something like uh, Star Garden is whereas uh, you know. Scenes from under childhood as much has a bit of a more of a darkness to it, right? Whereas this one is just mm. essentially a just a poem about the desert and the beach, right, right, right. And mm. there's nothing wrong with that. It's just if you start imagining a like poet's collected works, right? This is one of those ones where you read it and it doesn't feel as impactful, right? It's like I went to a pretty place and then I wrote about it, right, right, and it's. Probably not as interesting to you and I as a second section of scenes from under childhood might have been. Right. But if you but think about also, it, also go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, if, but also it's it is interesting. You know, if it is shot on vacation, it's part of that sort of domestic collection. Uh, but since it doesn't contain any of his family on screen, uh. It is something that is different to see in contrast to the rest of this set, um, or at least two of the films in the rest of this. Right, set. right. Yeah. Obviously, it's it's closer to Machine of Eden than than the others in that it lacks recognizable right. humans and, on and, screen. But it, but it, but yeah, it fits into the same sort of realm of Machine of Eden, right? It's that same sort of like Machine of Eden is sort of talking about the world around him as like a natural world, like a kind of a. It is more the environment that surrounds where they live and things like that. And this is, you know, 
the you know something outside of that but still in the same kind of like feeling to it um and it's it's nice to look at um i mean like again we always run into the problem like you know not you know this is true for brackage writ large just like i i keep i i fight the urge every time to just turn on some sort of noise in the room uh i don't do it because that feels like i'm going against you know death of the author and all that is fine but like i feel like it would almost be it would be cheating right it would be like breaking the rules because like very this is very explicitly a silent film and like if i just pumped in some sound to like keep myself mentally occupied i would be right going directly in the face of like it would be like reading the book backwards for some reason just to be an asshole you know what i mean right, like right. You, yeah death of the author motherfucker i read that thing backwards like yeah you could do that but but why right i mean in this situation it's so that i don't pass out halfway through the fucking thing but um yeah i don't know it's a lot of they're very visually stimulating but boy man whew, tough sometimes real tough sometimes i have to take a lot of breaks which is already right. cheating i get up in the middle i do pa- i don't pause to read or like inquire further i don't rewind but i do pause to stand up walk a couple circles around my kitchen aisle and then sit back down <laughs> i i probably walk in bracket sets i walk more than in any other films we watch i just have to like i gotta get i gotta just get a little bit of exercise just to keep my it's like i feel like a long haul trucker or some shit like it's like right right gotta gotta stretch your legs to stretch your mind for a second yeah, yeah. it's like otherwise you just kind of to a certain extent you does have a feeling of drowning right like when you watch some of this where you're like i'm just literally drowning in visual information i can't there's no air here. Um, some of them have a little bit more because um, I think it's, um, is it um, scenes from under childhood? One of them has a, I think it's that one, has a fair amount of like cut to what is almost entirely black or like a dark solid color. And it's like, oh, this is kind of a relief for a minute there. I just need a, thank you for giving me a moment to, to recover myself. Or something like desert is just visual. All the way through. There's no, there's no breaks, um, at all. Right, right. And I think right. that's one of the reasons why I liked, um, in a, in a sort of I'm being if I'm being very pragmatic about it. One of the reasons I wa- I liked um, Star Garden more than a lot of the other ones in this set is that I found it the least visually like hard to deal with. Yeah. Um. It the all the things that are happening are relatively recognizable to the human eye. They are relatively slowly paced. And like, there's a lot of still shots of empty rooms, which are very, which is, are visually relatively relaxing. Right. There, it does. Right. That one just doesn't hit you as hard as any of the other ones in terms of like visual motion and stuff. Uh, Cause brackage is always kind of on the edge of both being boring and also maybe making me about to throw up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think star garden also uh, more than, anything else we've ever watched from from Braggage, perhaps. Uh, consciously or not, you recognize that we are seeing the patterns of a day. Right, And right. that implies an end is coming. <laughs> right, uh, yeah, yeah. So you could kind of engage with it. was like, well, I know where we are. This is lunchtime. Um, right. Yeah. Well, and that, that is true right. about Braggage's work is that, like, although I would say all the ones in this one feel much more like they have an arc 
than a lot of the other stuff we've yeah. dealt with with Brackage. Like a lot of the stuff with Brackage in the past, when you're watching especially the really abstract stuff, you're like, well, this could go on for three minutes or, right. or, th- or three years. Like there's no, there's n- it, 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 because those ones, especially the abstract stuff, are very, well, they're like abstract paintings, right? And so there a lot of it exists for you to apply your own meaning to and to, to read into and, and, you know, he keeps him to three minutes except for when he, like, doesn't, right? Like, you know, it's like, I don't know. And also, when you're in a sea of visuals, like, what is three minutes? I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't know where right, I am right, in it. Right. Whereas these all have arcs that are fairly easy to follow. And as a as a viewer, you can kind of be like, well, I'm about halfway. I feel this feels halfway-ish. We're definitely right, hitting right. some visual crescendo here uh, that is going to wane to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps it up for yeah. uh, By Brackage and Anthology, Volume 2, Program 2. Next week, we'll continue with Program 3, covering 1972 to 1982, and actually get a few more films than we've been averaging so far. Still about an hour of material, but uh, it looks like it looks like we'll have six or eight more shorter to talk about next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> still still about 20 minutes on some of them but okay. uh but more just under 10 uh so cool look forward to that look forward to the rest of this box set certainly brackage is fascinating to me even as sometimes i i think he should just put his camera down and talk to his kids yeah but well, uh, yeah. <laughs> i mean brackage it Overall, if we're gonna ever have a takeaway for Brackage for me, is like Brackage is both extremely fascinating and both both fascinating and annoying at the same time to me at all times. Right, right, one hundred percent. Ah, but yeah, we'll look th- look through more Brackage next week and continuing for the next four weeks. So again, I have to apologize that we're spending so much time on Brackage. I know this may not actually be all that interesting to some of our listeners because um, Brackage is. Probably pretty polarizing, right? Uh, I, I yeah. don't imagine anyone gets into the Criterion Collection with the intent of watching all the Brackage stuff that the Criterion Collection put out. Uh, but I mean, they did make part of the... two anthologies, though. <laughs> right. It is part of our process to watch everything, and we want to give it its due, so we are taking the time to give it its due. So hopefully we are uh, succeeding in that, but that's up to you guys to figure out, I think. Uh, I feel good about what we've done so far. Uh and hopefully I'll feel good about the rest of it. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Otard Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass, 
find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.